Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. There's a really good episode of The Office where um, Pam doesn't patch calls directly into Michael the first time she tells him that somebody's on the line because he makes like terrible jokes the first time. So she just waits until after his terrible joke is over and then she patches a call through. So the second time he can just take it like a normal person, which is what we should do for the intros to this podcast every week, because I'm always terrible on the first one. And then on the second one, at least I come out with like a coherent thought like this one to open the show. We, we can just call it dress rehearsal. <laughs> like we should actually have dress rehearsal the first, for the podcast. The first one is a dry take. The first one is batting practice prior to the game that is the second intro. Yeah, I'm sure Something like bad. This American Life or Serial doesn't have dress rehearsal. They're just good at it. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, just right out of the out game. of the shoot. But we uh, we could probably use that. Ira yeah. Glass, Ira Glass. I am not, uh, but I did meet him one time. Um, so with that, hi everybody. Welcome inside episode number 142 of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. I am Tyler Mon. He is Sam Dykstra. Hello, Sam. Hello, Tyler. Um, how's uh, how are things? Things are good. I'm, I'm more interested to hear how things are where you are, oh, which yeah. is Fargo. I am literally in Fargo, um, America's least tourist visited state, um, as I learned. Uh, but it is currently uh, I'm actually in Moorhead, Minnesota, which is like the same thing. It's currently negative four with a wind chill of negative 24. So with a wind chill of why are you asking? I can feel your jealousy, Sam. Um, yes. No, I'm here. I am a uh, I'm a college basketball broadcaster. For those of you who do not know, we have a game uh, in Fargo this evening. We're recording this on Thursday. You will hear this on Thursday. We ordinarily record on Wednesdays, but uh, this week uh, had a travel day yesterday, so we're recording on Thursday, and um, it's good because this may be the last time anybody hears from me if I walk outside and freeze into a solid block of ice. <laughs> That'll be great. I'll have to come up with some sort of icicle. It will. Like, <laughs> it we regret will. to inform you that Tyler Mon is still frozen. He's been down. frozen out of the show. Hey-o. Um, so I'm sorry. I apologize for the jokes. Uh, welcome in. It's uh, this week's edition of the show before the show. You can find us at MILB.com slash podcast. We're on iTunes. We're on the Stitcher app. We're on Google Play. Give us a rating and a review and a subscription. And let's dive right in this week's edition of Three Strikes. Strikes number one today. Um, as of yesterday, Sam, Wednesday, November 10th, we thought that the World Series champion Houston Astros were on the verge of acquiring yet another ace in Pittsburgh Pirates star Garrett Cole. John Morosi of MLB.com reported that a deal was basically done between the Pirates and the Astros. That was just before noon Eastern time. 
A little bit later, Jeff Passan of Yahoo Sports said, no, there was no deal in place, and it was deemed a, quote, false rumor. Two points on that. Number one, maybe not. There's a chance that this was a deal that was nearly done and the framework fell apart at the end. Number two, whoever gave that quote to Jeff Passan, I want a hug for not using the term fake news and using false rumor. Um, but, uh, Sam, your thoughts on this? Um, obviously, it's uh, you know still a very fluid situation, but the other team that seems to be in the mix for Garrett Cole is the New York Yankees. So kind of your overarching thoughts on this this possible deal. And if you are the Pittsburgh Pirates, who do you want to make this deal with more, the Astros or the Yankees from a prospect perspective? Yeah, I mean, it, it all depends on, you know, we don't know exactly what the packages are um, and, and who exactly was being offered. It sounds like, according to everything we've heard and everything that kind of makes sense to me, uh, the Astros were going to offer up either one of Kyle Tucker or Derek Fisher, both talented outfielders, both upper-level uh, outfielders. Fisher having played in the majors last year, Tucker having spent his entire year at AA, uh, or the second half of the season, excuse me, at AA. He started out at Class A Advanced uh, Bowie's Creek. Um, and they, you know, Forrest Whitley is also there. I know a lot of people who think he's might be the top right-handed pitching prospect in the game. He's at least close there. Uh, Whitley seems to be off the board. The Astros definitely do not want to let go of him, which is very understandable. So it comes down to, you know, do the Pirates want one of Tucker or Fisher? Fisher used to be a top 100 prospect. Now he's graduated. He's got too much time in the majors. Tucker still is a top 100 prospect. He's right now number eight. Uh, I think when lists get updated Whitley's probably going to become the top prospect in that Astro system Tucker's going to move down from number one to number two um so but that's intriguing I mean if you're the the Pirates getting a talent like Tucker a guy who can play center field uh has a, a plus bat has some good power you know hit 25 home runs last year uh hit, stole 21 bases he's got a, a lot of interesting parts you add that to the mix that that certainly is how rebuilds are built um, but the idea that the Yankees could get back in, if I'm a Pirates fan, I, I might be a little bit more excited about that. Uh, it sounds like the Astros package that they were going to offer was going to basically be surrounded by Tucker. Plus, I think the Yankees can offer a more top 100 prospects that they're not, you know, that they're willing to let go of. Because right now, even after some trades, they still have five top 100 guys who even after I think lists are updated will still be there. Uh you know, Glaber Torres is probably not going to be traded, but Chance Adams certainly could be. You know, he keeps knocking on the door. Uh, the Yankees don't really seem to have a spot for him. Trade him while he still has really good value, uh, while he's not dwindling at AAA anymore. Uh, Estevan Floreal is there. Justice Sheffield, Miguel Andahar. You know, he, we mentioned him last week as a potential third base option, but should the Yankees decide they want to go after Todd Frazier instead, maybe Andahar could find a new home. Uh, you know, there's just more depth in the Yankee system. And that if it's going to be Tucker plus, I don't like the plus so much coming from the Astros as opposed to, let's say, it would be Chance Adams plus. If it's Chance Adams plus, I like the plus much more for the Yankees, um, especially if that plus might include Clint Frazier, who I don't think has a home anymore with the Yankees after that John Carlos Stanton trade. You know, Interesting. As, yeah. So that you think the days could be numbered there? Uh, not necessarily. Or at least numbered. he's a little bit more expendable now. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Because, you know, they – they like Aaron Hicks. They obviously right. like Frank Gardner. They like Aaron Judge. Uh, you know, they might like we'll have Jacoby Ellsbury on that roster too. Absolutely, yeah. So trying to find a spot for him is not going to be as easy. Uh, but I would say, from a Pirates perspective, a lot of people are going to say like, "Those are a bunch of outfielders." You mentioned whether it's Tucker or Frazier. What does that mean for the future of Austin Meadows? Uh, you know, 
Andrew McCutcheon, we can have that discussion a different day. That's not necessarily for this show. That's for other shows. Uh, but Austin Meadows has been, you know, the top prospect in the pirate system for a little while now. He's going to be starting next year at AAA. There are tons of questions about his durability because of hamstring issues. Uh, if the Pirates are targeting outfielders, does that say they're giving up hope on Austin Meadows? I don't think so. I think they would love to have just diversity. You know, they want as many talented people in that system as they can get, especially if they're trading off a coal and starting a rebuild. Uh, you know, the more talent you get, the more likely guys are going to graduate and be fulfill their ceilings. You know, if you just have Austin Meadows and he doesn't hit, then you've got a problem, then you've got a hole. If you've got Austin Meadows and Kyle Tucker, now all of a sudden you just need one of those two to, to become all-stars or good, impactful players, and you, your ability to become a good team for the long run becomes even better. Um, so, you know, we'll see how this shakes out. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a cold deal happens, you know, before the end of the week. I, I don't have any inside information on that, but uh, it definitely seems like the Pirates are willing to get him out the door uh, while they can. The fact that the Yankees are back in there and that it seems like the Pirates are kind of negotiating with multiple sides might be advantageous to them, uh, but we'll have to see how this shakes out in the next couple of days. Strike two this week, Sam. The second edition of Prospect Projections is here. American League East last week, National League East this week. Run us through it. Yeah, so the one I'm going to really focus on is just Luis Gohara uh, in that Brave system. You know, there are so many arms in that Brave system. We talked about that kind of ad nauseum, and I think Gohara – when we're focused so much on top talent or, you know, draft picks or whatever, I think O'Hara kind of fell off, at least from a national perspective. But, you know, he came up at the end of the year to the Braves and, and put up really solid numbers. Not that he wasn't doing that before, uh, but this is a guy who really hadn't played above Class A in the Mariner system at the time he was traded. He had spent a couple of years, in fact, splitting his time between Class A short season and Class A. Comes to the Braves, moves up real fast, was kind of the pitching version of Ronald Acuna. Uh, numbers not quite as shiny, but you know he started out at Class A, advanced Florida, went to Double A Mississippi, went to Triple A Gwinnett, finished the year with the Braves. And uh, you know somebody asked Brian Snicker, the Braves manager at the winter meetings, what does your rotation look like right now? Uh, and he rattled off some names. He said it's basically going to be like it was at the end of last year: Mike Fultinowitz, Julio Tehran, Sean Newcomb. And then he said Luis Gohara as if he has basically a rotation spot set in stone. Uh, and then he said they're looking for a five. And I think they helped their case there by getting a number five in Brandon McCarthy. Uh, they also got Scott Casimir, who can kind of help them there. Um, but looking at the steamer numbers, uh, steamer actually likes Luis Gohara the most out of all those names I just mentioned. Uh, they project him to have a 3.72 ERA over 200 innings with a K per nine of 9.8, which is really good. Uh, they think he would be worth three and a half war over a full season, which would be great for a rookie. Uh, you know, that would put you in the mix of maybe a rookie of the year award. Uh, so Steamer actually thinks he would be the Braves ace. Now, there's obviously other names that are coming up. Uh, Mike Soroka will be probably at AAA next year, as will Colby Gallard. Tuki Toussaint is going to be at AA probably to start the year. Uh, you know, uh, Kyle Wright's going to be making his first full season. There are a lot of names that are going to be trying to break that rotation I, I didn't mention max Fried. he's also in that rotation mix right away um but the fact that steamer really likes gohara uh regardless of his stuff which is actually really good he averaged 97 miles an hour on his fastball in the majors he's got a plus slider he has to figure out the changeup. um but if he can meet these expectations at least according to steamer 600 the braves would be very very happy next year 
Strike three this week, Sam. It is uh, 45 years since the American League officially adopted a, uh, adopted the designated hitter. 45 years ago today, January 11th, um, since that was implemented. Um, across the minor leagues, sometimes we hear about guys who are uh, better suited as DH prospects. Maybe just the bat is the only um, really impressive tool or the only major league tool. Uh, who do you view as some designated hitter prospects in the game today? Yeah, so I'm going to start out with the two obvious. Shohei Otani is definitely going to be a DH for the Angels. Uh, we know that because he's going to be spending his other time pitching. Uh, Brendan McKay, I'm also going to throw in that mix, although it seems like they want to use him at first base, or the Rays want to use him at first base when he's not pitching. That's what he did at Louisville. That seems to work for him. Uh, but if he's going to play two ways like Otani, he's probably going to have to DH instead, which makes sense. Uh, the name that a lot of people already think is a DH prospect might be the one that popped into all your heads when Tyler brought up this question, is Willie Calhoun, who moved from the Dodgers to the Rangers at last year's trade deadline. Uh, was a second baseman in the Dodgers system. A lot of people don't like him necessarily defensively there. The Rangers tried him out in left field. Uh, he could be okay there. You can kind of hide his defensive liabilities there. Um, but everybody thinks the bat is going to play. Just let him play DH, uh, which is really fascinating now that he's on the same team as Joey Gallo, who I think is a, a solid defender. He can play all over the place. Uh, but Gallo kind of has that classic DH type as well. Um, so we'll see how that kind of shakes out. One name I'm going to throw out there, uh, first-round pick from last year, Keston Hyura, uh, a, Bra a Brewers pick. He's technically a second baseman, um, but he had some elbow issues in college. He might have the best hit tool of last year's draft. Uh, and it, those elbow issues certainly haven't played out. You know, during his first taste of pro ball, he actually went up all the way to Class A Wisconsin after starting the year in the Arizona League, hit 371 over 42 games uh, after a really good spring at Cal Irvine. Um, but because of the elbow issues, he only played three games at second, play, at second base, played the rest at DH. Uh, he's in the Milwaukee system, so DH really can't be in his future as long as he's there. Um, but if those elbow issues continue to be a problem and – they don't seem to be, but he hasn't gotten really Tommy John surgery that everybody feared. So they could be lingering going forward. Uh, he could be a DH. That's something we're going to be watching going into his first full year this year. So um, you can check out uh, prospect projections and a whole lot more at MILB.com right now. And uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of Three Strikes. Um, different formatted episode this week. We're going to catch up with Benjamin Hill coming up next. And then Ben and Sam are going to take you through uh, this week's interview, which will be in segment number three with one of the new radio voices of the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders alongside the great John Sadak. It's Adam Marco, who will join the show coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, but coming up next, Benjamin Hill. Benjamin Hill joins us uh, this week. We're going to do a shorter segment with Ben because Ben and Sam will then take us through our interview this week coming up in uh, in segment number three of the show before the show. And uh, we welcome in Ben to uh, talk about a, a couple of different things that have gone up on the site and on the blog this week. And uh, first one, we want to extend our condolences to the, the Trenton Thunder, the AA affiliate of the New York Yankees, who announced earlier this week that um, their beloved team, Bat Dog Derby, passed away at just nine years old. And it it was such a crusher of a day in uh, on minor league social media, Twitter and, and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But it was it was really kind of neat to see, um, you know, the outpouring of love from 
fans and other teams and even teams and other sports. And, um, you know, it kind of shows you what an impact Derby had on that community and on social media now when we all get to enjoy adorable dogs from minor league teams and elsewhere. And uh, Ben put together a story for the site as to just how, I don't want to say ubiquitous, but how common minor league ballpark dogs have become across the landscape and what they mean to fans and teams. Uh, yeah, that is what I did. And uh, first of all, hello, Tyler and hello, Sam. Hello, hello Ben. Uh, Sam just called me Tyler. Tyler. I, I wanted to say hello to Tyler <laughs> again, and then I wanted to say hello to you. Can I, you know, I wanted to do both. Yeah, it's, that's, okay. how, that's, nice. that's how I'm catching myself on That's that. nice of you. It's okay. Sorry. Um, but yes, um, you know, the news that Derby had died, um, Tyler, like you said, uh, it resulted in like a huge social media outpouring. And, uh, you know, in my role, uh, considering the things I write about, you know, the business and culture of minor league baseball, at first, I thought I'd do a story on Derby, but there was such an overload of uh, Derby condolences and everything that I didn't know if I could have anything new to add to it. So I said, well, you know, how about I just write a general piece about dogs in minor league baseball? And, uh, so check that story out. Um, you know, I do think there's a, I don't want to say an East Coast bias with the amount of attention the Derby's death got, but I think being a Yankees affiliate located in New York, uh, that's about as much media coverage as of you as you'll see of something in the minor league realm. Um, but there are other teams who, who've done this who maybe haven't gotten the same amount of attention uh, for years, uh, particularly the Greensboro uh, Grasshoppers, who had Miss Babe Ruth as a bat dog, a black lab, and she retired. Uh, she's still a goodwill ambassador of sorts and fans on the concourse. Uh, her brother, Master Yogi Berra, was a bat dog and uh, would chase tennis balls between innings. Uh, he died this past July. Uh, Miss Lulu Gehrig is now uh, working for the team, uh, you know, inheriting Miss Babe Ruth's role. Um, Tyler, you know, your form, former place of employment has Deuce, a, a yellow lab who's been there uh, for, for many years. Uh, Frisco Rough Riders. Wait, did I even say it was the Myrtle Beach Pelicans? No, you did just I just said say it. it was uh, Tyler's former place of People employment. People were free to the guess. Myrtle Beach Pel- I, I assume just everyone knows Tyler's uh, yeah. entire Could history. Could have been Altoona. And resume, yeah. Uh, but no, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans have Deuce. Um, and uh, the Frisco Rough Riders have Brooks, who's uh, in training. And so hopefully it's a fun story. It shows uh, how pervasive dogs are at the ballparks. There's some other examples in there. Um, you know, I do link to three examples of on-field defecation, um, you know, the dogs. And, uh, you know, that's always, uh, always good for a laugh. But uh, if you like dogs and you like baseball and you like the intersection of the two, check out that story. Just real quick, Greensboro pointed out on November 22nd that Miss Babe Ruth um, got two votes for mayor of Greensboro on Election Day. Those are some dedicated um, symbolic protesters and dedicated dog lovers and grasshoppers lovers, for that matter. Yeah, Miss Babe Ruth uh, received two votes in the mayoral election, which I think shows her popularity there in Greensboro. And, you know, it goes without saying, anywhere you have a dog, that dog's going to be popular, and especially in a ballpark. And it's a combination that can't be beat. And uh, we want to do a follow-up on something we talked about last week. Uh, you actually put it out to Twitter you know, what do minor league teams do in the offseason? What do employees do, uh, you know, when they're not planning promos or making calls or that kind of stuff? Um, so what kind of responses did you get from clubs? Right. You know, just following up on that conversation we had last week, um, it obviously varies, as we said last week, what teams do in the offseason. But uh, threw the question out on Twitter and got some good responses. Um, of course, there are some unorthodox uh, ballpark events going on. The Lake Elsinore Storm just had a uh, monster car rally. Um, the Hartford Yard Goats uh, got some national public or national attention because the AP did the story on their upcoming goat yoga events. That's where you literally do yoga in the heated indoor batting cages while goats roam around. Um, so that's been a popular thing. 
But putting out that question, you know, I got all sorts of responses, some on the lighter end of things. Your receivables said they simply dominate Twitter timelines in the offseason. Check out the area receivables. They're pretty good on Twitter, but I'm better. Um, Scranton Wilkesbury posted a video of um, their staff members throwing food off the upper level of the stadium to a uh, fellow employee catching in his mouth on the concourse. Uh, so we got that kind of stuff. A few people you know, responded with a variation of working normal hours. Some seem to love that, to be able to revert to a more traditional 9-to-5 uh, type office environment and having a more stable life. Uh, some said normal office hours with a sense of disdain, meaning, you know, just boring. So depending on your perspective, you know, Helena Brewer said the first thing we do every morning is shovel the never ending snow. Tommy V, the great Tommy Viola, Charlotte Knights uh, said, what's an off season asking for a friend? And I think that's a common sentiment for a lot of people in minor league baseball and that the work never really does stop. Um, had a uh, pretty thorough response from Anastasia Hamilton, who's a Gwinnett social media coordinator. She said, hey, I'm analyzing social data, creating content calendars for the upcoming season, creating new graphic packages, planning our social budget for ads. Just to name a few things, the offseason has also been extremely busy due to our name change. And Gwinnett, you know, they were the Braves and now they're the Stripers. So you have a particularly uh, large amount of work to do whenever you change your identities. You're, um, and Dan Venn. Uh, media relations with the Dunedin Blue Jays, you know, that's a um, spring training facility that that team plays at. He says, hey, we have instructs, fantasy camps, tournaments, there's always something at the stadium, plus we're planning promos, most items need to be ordered six months in advance, conducting interviews and writing content for next year's publications, you know, and on and on it goes. And then uh, Tyler Gustafson, who does sales for the Mudcats, gave an answer I'm sure a lot of people in minor league baseball can relate to, renewals, renewals, and renewals meaning renewing uh, sponsorships and, uh, you know, getting everything set for the coming year on that front, which is obviously a key part of any team's uh, operations. So that's a, just a sampling of some of the answers, but there really is no off-season in anywhere in baseball in the sense that you're always doing work to prepare for the upcoming campaign, you know, whether you're a player, whether you're a front office, no matter who you may be. Ben's also got a story up on the blog, um, anniversaries for 2018. Last year, uh, we saw a lot of anniversary um, promotions, celebrations, all that type of stuff. And so to preview what could be coming up this year, um, it's kind of crazy the stuff that uh, we're going to be celebrating anniversaries for. But, for example, the Tom Hanks cinematic classic Big will be 30 this year. Um I hate this so much, but the Sandlot will be 25. Mrs. Doubtfire will also be 25, which I uh, did not think of. But um, there's a ton of stuff coming up this year. Yeah, you know, I wrote a post. You know, we've seen some Sandlot promos announced. We've seen um, some other promotions throughout the minors tying into anniversaries. I tried to guess uh, some of the others coming up. Um, you know, Night of the Living Dead is 50 years old this year. I know that's not family-friendly, but, uh, you know, teams have done zombie promos, so why not honor, you know, the king of the zombie films? Uh, Halloween is 40, so it could be some sort of halfway to Halloween uh, promotion. Speaking of Hal, uh, 2001 was the number one grossing movie of 1968, so that's turning 50 years old. I think a 2001 theme jersey would be uh, pretty awesome. Um, so check out the blog uh, for my post on uh, guessing some of the uh, anniversary promos we'll see throughout minor league baseball. Uh, Kokomo, that's one of my favorites. Kokomo <laughs> is 30 years old. So in the blog post I wrote, can at least one team stage a Mo Kokomo promotion in which Kokomo is the only song played at the ballpark for the entire evening? Um, <laughs> that's just something I want to say. I also, you wrote something about how Big Lebowski, I think, is 30 this year? Uh, Big Lebowski is 20. 20, I'm sorry. Or else I'm far older than Yeah, I was going to say, uh, 
I, I was too young to see it regardless of when it came out. But, yeah, that would be a lot of fun to see. Just the theme jerseys and all the sorts of in-between ending stuff you could do with that as well. Right. And as I mentioned in the blog post, you know, we've seen Seinfeld promotions uh, with, you know, extreme levels of detail. Seinfeld and Big Lebowski are two different entities, but I think they both inspire the sort of cult fandom that could make a Big Lebowski promo go over really well at the ballpark. And, of course, White Russians uh, would be served uh, that day for sure. And Seinfeld. No, no Eagles. Seinfeld also ended uh, 20 years ago this uh, this year, uh, 1998. So you could do a combo, Big Lebowski-Seinfeld uh, promo night. It would be one heck of a thing to bite off some ambitious minor league baseball front office. Benjamin Hill's on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. Um, and uh, Closing Time by Semisonic also came out two decades ago, which uh, Ben points out and did not realize. But it was a, a fitting way to close his blog entry. But we will not be closing out with Benjamin Hill. Ben's going to be right back um, after the jump for uh, this week's interview. So thanks, Ben. Hey, Talk thank you, you guys. Minute. Yeah, you can't get rid of me. Yes, this is the show before the show podcast, and I'm Ben Hill, Ben's Biz on Twitter, and uh, sitting beside me is Sam Dykstra, who you, of course, know is uh, the co-host of this show, along with Tyler Mon, who is not with us. But who is with us is Adam Marco, the uh, recently hired uh, broadcaster for the AAA Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, and uh, Adam had spent the previous eight years with the West Virginia Power, a uh, Class A Pirates affiliate, so a pretty significant jump up for him all the way to AAA New York Yankees. Adam, thanks for joining us. It is certainly my pleasure. Excited to be on with you today. Excellent. Well, you know, first of all, congratulations on uh, on getting this new gig. I mean, it had to be a very exciting uh uh, thing to obtain for sure. Um, what was the process that led you to uh, move away from the power and get this job? Um, you know, every broadcaster seems to always be looking to, to move up, <clears throat> excuse me, just like a player. Uh, but what was your process in getting this job? You know, I actually got into baseball in 2007, product of the winter meetings and the PBEO job fair. I uh, did a season with the Williamsport Crosscutters, moved up to AAA to Oklahoma City. So it's not the first time I've made a somewhat similar jump. Uh, I was a number two for the then Red Hawks back in 0809 before I got my opportunity to get my own team with the West Virginia Power. And I had a great run there. Absolutely loved the city of Charleston, the fans in that city, in that ballpark at Appalachian Power Park. And that, honestly, that's home. That's one of the places that I will always recognize as home. But the process to get me here actually started in 2016. I had a conversation with Josh Olerud, the team president and chief operating officer of the Rail Riders, on the off chance that maybe John Sadak or Darren Hedrick would move on, would take another job, and both stayed for 2017. So that potential opening never materialized, and then Josh reached out to me after the season I was in the mix for the opportunity once again, and I'm very fortunate to have this chance to come up here to Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, and be a part of what is a great organization. It's been a fun couple of months so far since I got here back November 7th. And uh, obviously you're not only jumping up a few levels, but also jumping organizations. Um, as Ben mentioned, going from the Pirates to the Yankees, I read some of your past comments saying, like you said, when you were at Round Rock, it, it was one thing because it was a Rangers affiliate. Now you're going to be, you know, with the Yankees affiliate at a fun time to be in the Yankee system. 
not that far away, Scranton to New York. So there's, you know, the in the similar area. Um, what are you looking forward to most about about joining this system at this time? I grew up a Dodgers fan. I grew up outside of Pittsburgh. So how I was a Dodgers fan when we're Pirates territory, I, I grew into loving the Pirates. So getting into the Yankees organization at this time to see the talent that in some cases I had already seen when they were down playing for the Charleston River Dogs. I saw a lot of these guys years ago. So it'll be fun to see how, they de- how they've developed, what's changed since I last came across some of these players in the South Atlantic League. But, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's not been a time in the last few years that this organization, the Yankees system, has generated so much buzz and, of course, you know, it's Aaron Judge and now Giancarlo Stanton at the major league level. But there are guys that played here last year, played here two years ago, that are thriving in New York. And some guys we're going to see this coming year, hopefully. You know, there's a lot of talk about what's going to happen in the trade market. The Yankees go out and make a deal. Do they trade away some of the big-name guys that fans here in Scranton Wilkes-Barre have seen? In the last few years, uh, Clint Frazier, Chance Adams were mentioned a few times, whether or not that happens. You know, as a Pirates fan, when they were talking about the Garrett Cole deal back in December, Flavor Torres is one of the first names that the Pirates would likely want. Everybody wants Torres. So I'm torn on that because on one hand, yeah, love to see him in a Pirates uniform. And on the other hand, I would really like to see him in a Rail Riders uniform this coming year before he makes that final jump to stick at the major league level. It's a great time to be in the Yankees organization. It is unusual because, you know, I was as a Pirates fan the last 15 years really of my life that the Yankees were the team that could do it all. They could win it all. They could get whoever they wanted, whoever they needed. And now I'm working for what the toast man would refer to as the evil empire. <laughs> so it's uh it's a, it's a different change. It's a change of pace. Um, but I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to be a part of both the Yankees system, but the Rail Riders organization and how they're approaching the fun of what New York is doing, how we're trying to make that you know, fun for the fans here in Northeast PA. And, uh, you know, you just mentioned the Toast Man, uh, who is obviously an iconic fan in, at West Virginia Power Games, who throws toast to the crowd after an opposing team strikeout. Um, You've called games, I'm sure, with uh, his chanting and his noise in the background for years and uh, really speaks to a core part of the West Virginia Power experience. Uh, you mentioned how important your time there was to you. Um, you know, how would you sum up what it's like to see a West Virginia Power game, what it was like to call their games, and you know, what that experience was like uh, just being so connected to Charleston, West Virginia for so many years? Well, the Toastman was one of the first season ticket holder accounts I acquired when I started to work for the West Virginia power. So for all eight of those years, I sold them as season tickets. So (laughs) I am partly responsible for allowing it to continue to happen and allowing is such a loose term. We love the energy he brings to the game and you know, it's so iconic that he got a baseball card. That's right. Ben's biz baseball. Ben's biz (laughs) last year. That's how iconic he is. And that experience to me, it, it's, you know, minor league baseball is meant to be from a fan's perspective about fun and affordability. And I find it difficult to find many better options, certainly in Charleston, West Virginia, in the state of West Virginia, 
when it comes down to cost per person on a nightly basis that you're going to go out. You know, we try to put on a good show. We try to make sure that the fans are having fun each and every night because that's going to make them come back the next day. That's really what we try to do in this industry across the board on the front office side is put on a good show that you're going to come back two or three times over the course of a season. You know, my wife and I have known each other for 17 years. We lived in Charleston actually for her job starting in 2007 before I even worked for the team. So as I say, it's home. It really was for 10 years. That was our life. Our family was there and so many great people in that area, so many great local restaurants and community that for all the negative connotations that the state of West Virginia can get has gotten, will receive. There's so many good people in that city trying to make it a better place each and every day. And there are so many you know, great things about that area, the Clay Center and Capital Market, the new ballpark they built back in 05, the Appalachian Power Park, that helped revitalize the east end of Charleston. And I really think even 13 years into a lot of those places, it's still just the beginning of how good that city can get. And uh, just to go back to something you talked about a little bit before, um, you know, one thing I'm interested in hearing about you is just what, what's it like as a broadcaster who's, you know, you've been at AAA before, you've been at Class A short season before, obviously Class A with the power, uh, and now back to AAA. You know, what's it like calling different levels? Uh, you know, you're dealing with guys at AAA who could be going up, they could be coming back down, they could be do- doing all that kind of stuff. Class A, this guy's beginning of their careers. Uh, you're just getting to know them. A lot of them you'll be able to say, I knew them when. Um, you know, how does your job kind of change with the level change uh, coming up for you? I think it's even since I was in AAA 2008, 2009 versus now, information and how it's released will be the, I think, the biggest change then until now. You know, we weren't dealing with Twitter and instant gratification when it comes to roster moves and people scooping people, scooping other people for those very same roster moves. Now, I, I find that the AAA level, you know, it's, it's a little more cloak and dagger about moves, especially guys going to the major league level. And you don't want to ruin that moment. I don't want to see Twitter or social media ruin somebody's moment. Like, oh, you hear so-and-so is going to the majors. That should come from the manager. It should come from their pitching coach. You know, that is that iconic story that these guys will tell forever. So I think that and the change in technology and information will be one of the biggest things that I'll see as a difference then until now. The players we're dealing with, you know, you've got a bunch of great guys, but everybody in this industry has that a little bit or a lot of an ego about them. And I think you see that ebb and flow from when they're 18 to 22 years old in the South Atlantic league to guys that are trying to make it to the major league level or get back. You know, one of the best players I came across in my time with West Virginia was Cole Tucker, 18 year old first round draft choice for the pirates a few years back. And even though he was a first rounder and had a big signing bonus, there was no ego about him. Like he appreciated Everybody in the West Virginia Power front office, and it was truly one of the friendliest kids I've ever come across. And I had to think, you know, who was the last person that was like that? And it was Nelson Cruz. You know, and there have been great people along the way. I don't mean to slight anyone, but Nellie Cruz in 08 with the Red Hawks, 
was a 4A player, a guy that couldn't stick at the major leagues. And Texas got him from Milwaukee, sent him down to AAA. And you think, what kind of mentality are you going to get? But he was ready to get out there, play the game, smile. He always had a smile on his face. You know, he, he learned how to deal with the breaks of this game and how to you know, be better because of it. 08, he hit 37 home runs and drove in 99 between the start of the season and August 1st. He was the league's MVP and didn't even play in the PCL in August. He was out with an injury. So uh, seeing guys like that, yeah, you're going to deal with people that are probably a little bitter that they're back down, but they know there's a job to be done. They know that there's going to be an opportunity to get back up if they just continue to work at it. So I think you see a difference in approach, you know, from a daily basis, guys that are 18 to 22 or guys that are 25 to 32 trying to get back to the major league level, how they handle their time here is always an interesting thing because you don't want to, you don't want to upset them because you know, they already know that there's something that needs to be done. So it's, it's balancing and evening out egos across the board at both levels. And Adam, um, when you were talking about your time with the power, you know, you, you obviously also became very acquainted with the South Atlantic league in general. And, uh, I remember you had a blog, uh, for quite a period of time when you talked about your favorite restaurants within the South Atlantic League, uh, places you like to go on the road trips. Uh, what are some of those places you'll miss uh, now that you've moved up to the AAA International League? There are some great cities in the South Atlantic League. There's some places that I will not miss at all. But <laughs> you can name them too if you want. Well, fortunately, Savannah's gone. So I don't have to worry about offending anybody from the sand mats, but Columbia became, became a great place to go to my top trips. You know, it's a 14 team league. You eliminate Charleston, West Virginia. I always loved first energy park in Lakewood. That was uh, the way they put on a game, the way they do that show. They have good food in the area. Greenville is a phenomenal foodie city with a lot of restaurants within two miles of the ballpark. Charleston, South Carolina, I love seafood, so that's an easy one. And Asheville. Asheville was such a unique stadium at McCormick Field. The press box is very much like what you'd see at a high school baseball game. It's one room, kind of a trailer at the back of the bleachers, back of the grandstand. And two, three feet to my right is Doug Maurer, the tourist broadcaster, Three feet or less to my left for the longest time was Rick Wright, the PA announcer, with just some cubicle walls barely partitioning us off. But even with all that volume, 15 feet apart at most, you know, you still you get that atmosphere, and it was such a fun place. Plus, you know, craft beers. Asheville's a great place to go. They fashion themselves as very much the craft beer enthusiasts and some great restaurants down in Asheville as well. So those are, those are some of my favorite stops along the way in the South Atlantic League. But even in places where I didn't necessarily like the ballpark dynamic, I was able to find good food. You know, I'll do it. Hagerstown, I'll throw it under the bus. The stadium <laughs> is one thing. I think it was better this past year. But there's still some great places to go in the Hagerstown area. There's a... Shula's Crab House. There was a 
Peruvian chicken restaurant in Hagerstown. And the advent of Uber and Lyft the last few years made all of this even much more relevant and possible. I don't want to go and just get the average fast food place. I want to be able to go out and, and learn about those towns we're going to, learn about those cities and talk about the experiences. And I think the best way to do that at times is through the local cuisine. And following up on that, you're now entering uh, the International League, uh, 14 teams in the uh, AAA International League. Um, so you'll have 13 new cities to visit. Uh, what are you excited to uh, – what, what are the places you're excited to go, both from a ballpark and just exploring the uh, city's perspective? Well, we've got one trip to Indianapolis this year, and I'm certainly excited about that because of my ties to the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think there are going to be some guys in Indy this year that – I had within the last five years in West Virginia. So I'm excited to have Indy come here and go see Victory Field. Charlotte, I have actually been to a game and seen the Knights play. Uh, So excited to take in that vantage point from the broadcast perspective, which is not all that different than what I've got here at PNC Field in Scranton. And curious uh, to go down to Gwinnett and check out a Stripers game. Now, there are plenty of great cities. Uh, I've been to a, a Louisville Bats game as well. I saw them play Indy. Uh, some of these trips in the South Atlantic League, I was able to drive. And then we would play Lexington. I would drive there two and a half hours and then drive over four hours to see Louisville play. Or one trip down to Kannapolis, I made the trip the other way, and we drove down to Charlotte for an afternoon game before a night game between the Intimidators and Power. So I've seen some of the stadiums already. Those are certainly at the top of my list. All right, well, we got two quick ones uh, left for you that I think are going to be more into your style and uh, as a broadcaster coming up. Obviously, you're moving into to Scranton. Uh, so I got to ask, how, how knowledgeable are you in the office and how much are you going to try to mix in office references into your calls going forward? I hated the first season of the office <laughs> absolutely hated the first and even like the second season it was too dark we watched it and we were fans from like season three and on and my wife and i would back before we had a dvr we'd get a vhs tape if we couldn't watch it live we would record it on a vhs tape those were things back then and so I'm, I'm knowledgeable on it. I am rewatching the entire series, even seasons one and two. I've, I've already rewatched those. So uh, big fan, excited. Uh, we're going to do an office promotion this year at the stadium. This is the fifth anniversary of when it went off the air and apparently may now also come back as what is old is new again. So um, I'm a fan of The Office. I, I was certainly a big fan of the series season three through the end. There you go. That that is probably the correct answer on that one. Although I think I lost it when uh, Michael had to drive into a fountain, but that that's neither here nor there. Uh, all right. So th- this is the last one. We're going to make it a lightning round um, because you are the announcer now, or the the voice of the AAA uh, Yankees affiliate. You're one step away technically from John Sterling. Uh, so we want to see if you could get some, <laughs> sure. some Sterling s calls for some guys who are probably going to be with the Rail Riders this year. Um, so I'm just going to give you a name. You give me the call back and we'll do like three or four of these. Uh, you want home new... run calls? You give me strikeout calls. Let me, let me get a oh, frame home, of home run calls. If they're going to be Sterling calls, they got to okay. be home run calls. 
Uh, ah. We'll start with an easy one because I feel like there, there's a lot of pun possibilities with this one. Uh, Jake Cave. So easy a caveman can do it. There you go. There you go. That's good. Uh, a guy you mentioned before in Gliber Torres. Ooh, this is tough. Ah, Torres. Can I pass? He tore Torres the cover uh, off of the ball. He tore as the cover off the ball is, is way too punny. Um, <laughs> he, he tore as into that one. There we go. We'll, we'll accept that one. And then uh, we'll, we'll do this last one. How about Clint Frazier? Oh. See, th- this one would make me want to go to the television show, which I was never a fan of Frazier. So I might have to go for more of a Cheers reference. That's fair. Uh, and so that might be... You know, just Clint in a norm fashion, or if I were to harken back to the Toastman, Frazier, I don't even know her. <laughs> there we go. That's that's what real writers fans have to look forward to then, I guess. Excellent. <laughs> well, well, I, I hope they have way more to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we're, lo- we're looking forward to listening to you uh, call the Real Riders games this year, and uh, you'll be partnered with another Adam uh, moving up from AA Trenton. Uh, Adam, is it Giardino? Yeah. Is that Giardino, how, am, yeah. am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah. Uh, you're putting a little too uh, much em- uh, emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm prone to do that. But it's going to be a dual Adam broadcast. Adam Marco, the lead broadcaster, um, looking forward to his first season uh, with Triple A Scranton after spending eight years with West Virginia. Uh, Adam, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us on the show before the show podcast. Anytime, and you guys are always welcome here at PNC Field. We'll find a spot for you. Putting the finishing touches on uh, an abbreviated episode, and apologies, that's my fault uh, for traveling and work and all that kind of stuff uh, on uh, on a different path than the, the podcast <laughs> this week. So next week, um, also a travel day on Wednesday, but we'll figure out uh, timing and stuff, and uh, I will I will not rob you of your 10 minutes or so that we've gone short on this week's edition. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I'm I think sorry. just moving quickly is what's keeping you warm, right? Yeah, no, that's true. It's the only thing that's keeping me from freezing in place to whatever I'm currently touching. In Fargo, North Dakota. You really paint a picture. Whatever I'm currently touching, <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. So I guess I should. I guess I should qualify next week if I'm still alive and there's like blood pumping through me rather than just being, you know, it's just this a is like line a Rocky Bullwinkle tease for next week. Tune in next week. <laughs> If I'm still in existence, of, the thrilling Tyler conclusion of did Tyler make it through the Dakotas once more? Ah, uh, it's going to be very exciting. Um, yeah, that's it. Get in touch with the show podcast at milb.com. Sam is on Twitter at Sam Dykstra milb. I am reluctantly back on Twitter at Tyler Mon. And uh, that's it. We'll talk to you next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.